Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by a couple special guests uh, here in the main office. First off, I want to introduce our uh, education supervisor, Lee Gillum. Howdy. And Lee is going to introduce you to our super special guest today. This is some really valuable, probably under-discussed, under-utilized information. We've been focusing on this topic here at MCHD for the past week or so. And as we were going through our program, we decided that this was some valuable info for all of our listeners out there. So Lee, tell us what we're going to be discussing today. Well, we have Sarah Koransky with United Against Human Trafficking. They are the lead agency in the greater Houston area for uh, training and awareness for human trafficking. So one of our focuses of mandatory CE this week and last week has been on human trafficking, and Sarah and her agency have been wonderful to grace us with uh, a lot of their knowledge and education and uh, provide a lot of information to our field staff during mandatory CE. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Hello, and thank you for having me. So some of our listeners may be asking themselves, starting out, why are we discussing human trafficking? So we're going to start out with a little bit of the basics. Just give us a brief overview, Sarah, of the scope and the extent of the problem and why it's an important discussion to have. Sure. So human trafficking at its core is a human rights violation, but it's one that's happening every day in our city, in every city, in every country around the world. And so that's one of the reasons we really want to be talking about it. Human trafficking is the control and the use and the manipulation of another person through force, fraud, or coercion um, for the purpose of sexual exploitation or for labor exploitation. So it's very nuanced and it's very hard to identify. One of the greatest barriers to combating human trafficking is that victims are remaining unidentified. And so that's why we really want to be talking about it more, raising awareness, and really educating first responders and important stakeholders in this fight who have the best opportunity to identify it. Can you tell us the difference between smuggling and trafficking, because all too often, and I think even in the media, we hear those terms used interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right now, human trafficking is a bit of a buzzword, especially as it relates to border security. So there tends to be a lot of confusion recently about human trafficking and human smuggling. Human smuggling is the illegal transportation of a person over an international border. So essentially what's happening there is the commodity that's being sold is a transportation service, right? Someone is paying for a ride. In human trafficking, the commodity that's being sold is a person. Um, So there's a lot of confusion about this. And one of the reasons for this confusion is being smuggled into a country puts a person in a very vulnerable position. So we have seen cases of human smuggling turning into human trafficking because of these vulnerabilities. Um, But they are two very different crimes. So Sarah, during this past week, you've been talking about a lot of the warning signs and red flags that our medics should be aware of in recognizing individuals who might be at risk for human trafficking. Can you talk about that a little bit and talk to us about some of the high-risk populations? Sure. Um, So the first thing I would like to point out is that red flags and indicators are, it's a very extensive list, right? There tend to be a lot of them. So what we're really looking for are things that are out of the norm, right? These red flags are small pieces of a much larger puzzle. So just seeing one may not mean human trafficking, but even seeing a couple may not. We're really looking to put these small pieces together to identify victims of human trafficking. Um, But some of these red flags include when we see security intended to keep a person in rather than out. So for for example, barbed wire facing inwards or locks on the outsides of bedroom doors, right? These are red flags. 
Others include branding tattoos we see quite often in, for, in sex trafficking. Um, if someone mentions owing their employer money, I've, it's not common to have to owe your employer money, so that can be a red flag. When we see or hear terms related to prostitution, those can be red flags that people can keep an eye out for. If someone's overly anxious or fearful of a person, things like that. Very good. Are there certain specific medical problems or complaints that our field providers might run into or be presented with when they encounter victims of human trafficking? Absolutely. Our bodies are not made to go through what many victims of trafficking go through. And so there are physical signs of that. Some include unexplained injuries, for example, really if, you know, suspicious injuries, if someone says they got hurt at work and then have trouble explaining what they do for work. Signs or injuries from physical assault, sexual assault. These are red flags. Signs of uh, alcohol or drug dependency. Um, There's also a lot of people will talk about sexual and reproductive issues especially in sex trafficking, right? Like I said, our bodies are not made to go through this. So chronic pelvic pain, apathy towards pregnancies, multiple STIs, abortion-related complications, things like that are often seen in different cases. Is there any one particular business we should be aware of if we get called to? Maybe we want to keep a, an eye out a little more. And, I'm, and, and I don't want to be stereotypical and <laughs> say, oh, well, you're massage parlors or you're your your nail salons or your construction mm-hmm. sites uh, but in reality what is the real businesses that we should be alert for for mm-hmm. labor trafficking for and for sex trafficking well first of all those businesses that you listed are are all hot spots we're known for labor trafficking or sex trafficking sometimes they might cross paths um, as far as specific types of businesses we would there's usually an extensive list including the ones you just mentioned what we really want to look for here are locations like hot spots in the city and so um, one of Houston area's hotspots, it's called The Track, which is a known area in the city for prostitution and sex trafficking to occur. One of Houston's, the largest one in Houston is uh, off of Bissonette in southwest Houston. It's a, between Beltway, Beltway 8 and 59. And so really not necessarily the type of business, but understanding that this is a hotspot for it. So if you get called to a scene in that area, you would want to be aware of that. But yes, like I said, we've seen, you know, labor trafficking out of restaurants, nail salons, traveling sales crews, right? These are individuals who are knocking on our doors. And sex trafficking, we see, you know, on the internet, escort services, cantinas, the list is very extensive there. So with the summer months and and high school kids being Mm -hmm. out in the area, are they at risk for being trafficked with some of the some of these organizations with that do door-to-door sales? Absolutely. Not just high school t- kids, but anyone who's really looking for that summer job, maybe, or just any type of job like that, right? There's a lot of valuable stuff that might be passed on during that. Or, you know, these traffickers are charming in these job offers. And so we see job offers that look really great. Come to Houston, make some money for the summer. You know, we'll put you up in a dorm. You'll meet some new people, make some friends, maybe win some prizes, right? Uh, you might win an iPad pad if you sell enough. So the allure of mm-hmm. winning more than, exactly. just, than just a paycheck. Maybe at the end of the summer, we'll take you to Six Flags, right? And then you make some extra money. And at the end of the summer, you can go home. But what now, they're not realizing is that there's, there's um, a lot of exploitation that happens there. These individuals might feel trapped or coerced into it, and they don't even realize. Okay. For example, the coercion might be, well, we're going to put you up in a dorm, but we don't tell you that you're going to, the dorm charge is going to be $75 a day. And then if you don't make your quota, we're going to charge you and you're going to have to pay us back money. 
Exactly. Something like that. Or even sometimes it's as simple as this is a job. So now you have a contract and you can't leave until it's done and you've met this quota. But really, when we ask the question, when can you leave? Their answer should be whenever I want. But when they respond, when I meet a certain quota or at the end of the summer, right, there's some element of control there. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. I know in some of the presentations, you know, we've talked about some of the more probably stereotypical, obvious situations you know, jobs not being as represented, massage parlor, nail salon, sort of the the, the ones that we all know about. Mm-hmm. There were some that you discussed, though, in the presentation earlier today and in the past several days that were ones that I were surprising to me. So t- tell the listeners out there some of those more surprising, bizarre, probably ones that would, would not be ones that you would fill in the bubble on the multiple choice quest mm-hmm. for que- a test for human trafficking. What are some of those those stranger situations that, you know, this is not a one size fits all. Like you said, there's several tidbits, mm-hmm. several pieces that could be clues here. And uh, tell the listeners some of those some of those more off the wall ones. Yeah. So the one that a lot of people in this field will tend to to talk about is uh, the cheerleader case, right? And so we had a case a few years back where an 18-year-old cheerleader, high school senior, was convicted of sex trafficking her 16-year-old classmate. And you look at her picture and we, you know, looking at her, she looks like a high school cheerleader. She's non-threatening. You would never suspect that she's the one capable of human trafficking. Many people would look at her and say she might be a victim, but she's actually actually the trafficker in this situation. Another case that tends to shock a lot of people is when we start talking about familial trafficking. We had a case where a mother was convicted of sex trafficking her five-year-old daughter to pay off a $200 drug debt. Right. People don't want to acknowledge that mothers and parents and family members are capable of doing this. And so they tend to be more shocking. But what we're actually finding is familial trafficking is really common. Um, One study shows that 36 percent of victims um, were trafficked by immediate family members. Thirty six percent were trafficked by parents, siblings and grandparents. That's a large percentage of shocking cases right there. Right. So it's not just strangers on the Internet. It's more often not strangers, right? And and it could even be your own peer group, your Mm -hmm. own age. It doesn't always have to be male, female. No. It can be... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very, I mean, I don't want to say it never happens because of course it does, um, but it's rare, it's more rare for it to be strangers, right? These are people that they trust. These are their people, whether it's romantic relations or family or employers or just people that they've known for some time. Traffickers have taken the time to build these individuals trust and build rapport with them before they flip that switch and before they start even trafficking them. Now, do you find that that is more common in the sex trafficking versus the labor trafficking where that trust has been built up and, you know, is there a lot of truth to those people who are victims of sex trafficking and or labor trafficking tend to become traffickers later in their life? No, I'd actually say it's probably for both sex trafficking and labor trafficking. And one of the reasons for that is the very nature of an an employer-employee relationship implies an inherent amount of trust there, right? We're trusting that this is, a you know, number one, a legitimate job, an organization. We're trusting that they're going to pay us and adhere to labor laws and things like that. And so there's already an inherent amount of trust built into those types of relationships as well. And so that trust is really across the board. So we've hit on the importance of human trafficking, obviously more more common than we like to admit. We're on the front lines out there taking care of patients and something that we're going to see if we, if we try to do so. Uh, we've hit on some of the likely, probably stereotypical type targets mm-hmm. and some more surprising ones. Let's take the next step, Sarah. What should a paramedic first responder do if he or she suspects 
human trafficking. So we've got, say, three or four of those red flags. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not a siren blaring in your ear, but (laughs) maybe the antenna just perks up a tad. And we think, hmm, I don't know that I want to scream out loud. Right. I guess yeah. to quote an old 90s song, things that make you go, hmm. Exactly. Not, but, <laughs> I but, always say my gut is screaming at me. And, and maybe not even that far. I mean, yeah. I think we've all been in situations where we know something's not right mm-hmm. and we know we're going to take the next step, whether that's a, a child abuse case or one of those more difficult situations. But as emergency providers, we've all been in situations where we just have that little feeling that, hmm, we're not sure whether we want to cross the line to initiate Mm -hmm. the, whatever the reporting process may be. What do you advise paramedics, first responders go through in order to take that, that Mm -hmm. big, because a big leap, right? It's going to, it's going to affect lots of Lots of parties involved. It's going to mm-hmm. potentially have um, significant downstream effects. So what what are the order, sort of the thought order you, you teach folks to go through? Yeah. So when we're at the point where, you know, we recognize the signs of human trafficking, we're seeing these red flags potentially. Something's feeling off. Something's not really quite right. Maybe you're not really sure why, but for some reason trafficking is coming to mind. Whatever those reasons driving that is, a common refrain in this anti-trafficking network is see something, say something. And that's what we're looking for here. When you start to recognize these red flags, maybe you've, you know, asked some questions and gotten some more information from this individual, really learned more about their experiences as much as you can in the short amount of time, right, that we have with them. If you suspect human trafficking, we want you to say something to the best of your ability. And there's some limitations on that, unfortunately, as a paramedic, you're expected to adhere to HIPAA. And so what is it that you can say while still adhering to those confidentiality expectations? Do what you can, see something, say something. As far as what you can and can't report for minors, I can speak in the state of Texas, human trafficking is considered a severe form of child abuse. And so as a mandated reporter, you are required by law to report that to CPS, any suspected human trafficking of a minor. For adults, you do require, you know, HIPAA does require consent. There is some gray areas around it. So for example, if your patient is the suspected victim, but they've given you information on their trafficker, that trafficker is not necessarily your patient. So it doesn't apply. But really what we're looking for here is to see something, say something, do what you can in in that moment. Don't ignore it. Don't just say, oh, well, that's really weird. Trust your gut instincts here. Well, like any reputable tip, mm-hmm. once the tip is made to your organization, mm-hmm. then the feelers are going to go out and then the research really has to begin. Or the tip might be a in an addition to a tip that's already been received mm-hmm. for the location as well. And that brings more credence to just one tip. Yeah. It's kind of like when we report to CPS. Mm-hmm. If one first responder makes the report, great. But if multiple the fire department, the police department, and the EMS agency make the report, then that brings more credence to that tip. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also one of those things we want to make sure that, you know, you're understanding your role in this fight. Our role is not law enforcement. Our role is not to investigate beyond a reasonable doubt. Our role is to recognize these signs for what they are and to report them, to say something. And if down the line after an investigation occurs that it's found maybe it's not human trafficking, but it was something else, that's fine. But we did our job in that moment and we reported. So be a little more specific and drill down mm-hmm. as a speak from the standpoint of a first responder or paramedic. Mm-hmm. There's several people or, you know, who who can we say something to? Mm-hmm. So just off the top of my head, you can think of, you know, CPS or Adult Protective Services, law enforcement, the emergency department, receiving personnel, the, the charge nurse, the receiving nurse, the emergency physician. Do you, does your organization have a hierarchy there, a, a, a progression that, that we should go through in the specific situation of pre-hospital care? Or is it really sort of, you know, pick the avenue you feel like fits the best? Should we, should we 
focus on law enforcement? Should mm-hmm. we fo- focus on continued continuing down a more healthcare pathway? What do you what do you all suggest as far as that goes? So for reporting for who to report to, one of the easiest ones as far as because you're right, there are so many options. And so something we really encourage is to report to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. So this is a hotline that's ran by Polaris Project um, out of Washington D.C., but it is across the country. And so when you report a credible tip, when you report suspected human trafficking to this hotline, that information will be directly connected on the ground for which area you're in. So in Houston, um, we have a task force in this area who will be getting that, a law enforcement task force called Hatra, and they'll be getting that information. And so it's a really great resource just across the board that they're available no matter where you are in the country. You can report to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. There are other options if you're looking for something a little more specific or local, or if maybe you already have a relationship with other organizations and agencies to figure out what that would look like. So for example, my my organization does accept credible tips. So people have reported to us before and we have our own protocols in place and we make sure that that information gets to the appropriate channels. But across the board, in the, in the states, one of the best um, resources to be aware of here is the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And I can give you that phone number because it's very easy to memorize. Um, so I really encourage everyone to do it. Memorize it. Save it in your phone. It's one 888 We will, for those of you who are number challenged, be included. We will uh, copy and paste that one in the show notes. We'll also have uh, Sarah's organization as well. I will dig up some wonderful resources from Sarah to include there. So there'll be plenty of info that you can pass along to your services, your agencies, save in your your, uh, iPhone or Android device (laughs) and have there at your fingertips when you need it. I would say from my standpoint, any any speaking up is going to be better than better than nothing. Uh, but having Absolutely. having more resources and more options uh, probably is a good thing and not a bad thing. You know, Sarah, you talked in continued education about really the best thing we to do is to can try to get the victim to a safe place, mm-hmm. and a lot of different questions to ask. What kind of questions could we ask the victim mm-hmm. of suspected trafficking to try to pan out that information a little bit more, but also to try to navigate them into a safe location mm-hmm. so that they're now no longer under the purview of the trafficker, but they're hopefully in a safe healthcare environment mm-hmm. to where resources can get to them. We're pretty lucky from that standpoint, right? We, 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 we are. We, we've got a built-in emergency room where, mm-hmm. where me, when I put my other hat on as emergency physician, been in a handful of uh, suspected trafficking situations and I have the advantage of you know doctor patient relationship and I can ask that person to leave and they mm-hmm. have to yeah. leave right you know doesn't doesn't matter and pre-hospital so, though it's a different environment but you've got to get right. them uh, we've got to get them into the back of the fortunately truck we've got mm-hmm. the we've got the right. truck and then we've got the hospital but yeah. I, I would agree I, I like Lee's question what are some of the sort of the sorting best sorting and mm-hmm. I don't want to say prying but how do we get to the get to the uh the tough question that mm-hmm. you can't really just ask straight out right yeah, yeah. um so there's a few different things here, right? It's always going to be case by case, what you're seeing on the scene and what this person has already shared with you um, would never would encourage for you to come out and say, hey, are you being trafficked? Because chances are they're not going to know what that means um, and that's not going to get you anywhere. So what we really would want for you to ask about are, um, you know, what led them to this situation? Um, asking about any significant relationships they may have mentioned. If they mentioned that uh, maybe their 
boyfriend or girlfriend is the one outside, you'd want to ask about that, right? Ask yeah, like about their these boyfriend relationships. or girlfriend is holding their ID, for example. Exactly. You know, if someone has mentioned that someone's holding on to their ID, we want to ask about that. Now, obviously, if it's a rock concert and the boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> has the ID, that's a yes. little different. Right. It's always at your discretion. You guys right. know what's right and you know what's normal. So what's out of the norm here? Um, we'd also encourage you to understand that, you know, this can be a really intimidating thing to ask any types of questions like this. So how do we ask them and not further harm them, right? Victims of trafficking have been severely traumatized and so sometimes asking questions asking for more information can be triggering and so how do we do that we weave these questions into casual conversations right we're just getting to know them we're just getting to know more about their experiences but we would want to know you know if they've mentioned or if they're acting fearful or anxious about about a person we'd want more information on that information about their job or school or they have mentioned owing someone a debt or if they've mentioned someone's holding on to their ids right we just want to make sure that when we notice these these odd things we're asking these follow-up questions so you had used a phrase in continuing education mm-hmm. about tell me a story or tell so tell, tell me, me about, about. I, so for example yes. tell me about where you live or mm-hmm. tell me about your boyfriend or tell me about your girlfriend yes. and how did you meet or mm-hmm. tell me about your employer who do you work for How long have you worked there? So get them to engage in telling Mm -hmm. you a story. I love the phrase, tell me about. Tell me about is open-ended and it empowers that person to share what they want, how they want, and in the order that that they want. So, right, we're avoiding these potential trauma triggers because they get to choose what they share. So asking those questions. You know, you mentioned you got hurt at work. Can you tell me more about your work? And then you ask the follow-up questions. Well, how'd you find that job? Were you recruited? You know, I had a job once where I had to do three interviews. Did you have to do anything like that? You're getting to know them and you're getting to know more about their stories and their experiences. And depending on what you're asking and how, what they're sharing, that will give you a lot of information. So you're trying to build a little bit of rapport, exactly. a little bit of trust, mm-hmm. and then call that information out of That's them. That's exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So... Puts us at a good spot to wrap up. I'd just really like to thank Lee and Sarah for helping bring this issue to the forefront here at MCHD. Definitely a hot, hot button topic. Mm-hmm. As pre-hospital EMS emergency providers, it's easy to, I think at times, to want to close our eyes to some of this, some of this stuff that we see every day. These red flags, I think if you ask any EMS emergency provider out there, they would give you some combination of these red flags. Mm-hmm. We probably all n- know them, right? It's a matter of putting this in your forebrain and, mm-hmm. and, and recognizing it. Definitely and, connecting the dots. And, it really is. And we've all walked into those situations where maybe you can't describe every single red flag. It's just that general gut feeling or makes you go, hmm, however you want to mm-hmm. say it. Well, it just isn't right. Something, mm-hmm. Something's not right here. And it just needs to be like, you know, if it's a, a chest pain patient with some diaphoresis and some, you know, nasty looking color, right? Your, your antennas go up a little bit. You start thinking about dissection. You think about PE. We have a differential diagnosis for that patient. Right. Same thing with these really difficult and potentially dangerous social situations. Human trafficking needs to be on our differential just, just the same. But unlike the signs of pulmonary embolism, these signs are very subtle sometimes. Yep. And yep. maybe the individual who has flat affect, who's not real forthcoming on information, who's evasive in their mm-hmm. questions, uh, and we just have to learn and recognize that I need to connect the dots on this. 
And, and I, it's not going to be glaring at me in the face. I would say from the PE standpoint, every now and then their heart rate's well, 101 right? and, and they're just on birth control, right? Definitely. And they're young Definitely. and healthy. Definitely. So sometimes they can be subtle too. And that's, exactly. those are all going to be the hard cases. Mm-hmm. But Excellent point. in the end, the beauty of this discussion, and I think our focus during continuing education is that we're discussing it. And that's the first that's the first part of the battle. So thank, th- thank you all for bringing it forward. Sarah, I want to let you close out. If there are any, any other points or any, if you want to, uh, again, plug your organization. Feel free to go at it again. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you for joining us. And anything else that we've missed, I'll give you a little, little open-ended time. Um, yeah. So I just want to say thanks for having me out and making, giving us this opportunity to talk about human trafficking. If anyone's interested in more information, there are a ton of organizations out there who are working to combat this issue, and some really incredible, creative, and passionate individuals working on this. I definitely recommend checking us out. United Against Human Trafficking. Our website is uaht.org. Follow us on social media media, whatever you're, you're looking to connect over, please do so. We're happy to make those connections and engage. So thank you so much for having us out. And what's your phone number one more time? Oh, um, well, my the hotline. Not your phone number, the hotline. <laughs> the hotline phone number one last time so everyone can save it is 888-3737-888. And so I definitely recommend saving we, it in your phone. We will copy said organizations, websites, mm-hmm. phone numbers in the show notes. Thanks, Lee, for joining us. Always thanks, Doc. All you listeners out there, if you have questions, concerns, ideas for future podcast please email us at the podcast email it's podcast at mchd-tx.org please leave us a review wherever you listen and we'll talk to everyone again soon thanks thank you this podcast was brought to you by the montgomery county hospital district texas production and editing by andrew adams questions or comments which are always welcome can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.